Hey friends, Andy Jenkins here at the Hilltop in my office. And for the last several weeks, I've been sharing with you some of the content from the new LifeLift project. Uh, by the way, if you'll go down to the link in the show notes below, you can get the workbook absolutely free. Uh, it is a workbook that all the answers are in it. So it's it's not like you're going to be lost if you don't have the videos, but it will give you the option for some of the video content. I've been walking you through all of this really because the purpose of the content, the purpose of this project, it's a four-part framework that really empowers you to not only find your purpose, but fulfill it. A lot of people already know what their purpose is. They just don't know how to flesh it out and implement it. Uh, and, and then there are a lot of people that say, well, I, I'm not really sure what that purpose, the reason for which I was designed, created, crafted intentionally by God is. And this will help you do that. And here's, here's what's remarkable about it is, uh, and, and I can say this because I, I didn't create it. <laughs> My dad created uh, this framework 25 years ago. And so now it's, it's really a bit of a legacy project where I've picked it up and have rewritten it with him, added some content to it. And so I'm really standing on his shoulders uh, with some deep material that he pulled together uh, years ago. And I still remember that, those moments when he was uh, finishing it up. Had, had no idea he had started it, but definitely saw it when I was in college, when he was finishing it. Uh, he actually finished the manuscript, handwriting it on notebook paper. <laughs> one, one weekend, we had gone to the beach, actually probably during the week, because he was a pastor and would have been, uh, I don't think it was a vacation time, he would have been home on that weekend to preach, but we had gone to the beach so he could just kind of get out of the office and write it out. Um, what I saw in that is a lot of people, they may not know their purpose, but the material is so rich in that it will mirror back to you some things in such a way that you look at it and go, oh, all right, I got it. Yes, yeah, that makes sense. That's why I fill in the blank. I've always loved doing this or that. Or that's why I feel a burden for insert the name of some cause or some idea or some topic that you want to communicate or teach or solve. That's how come I have always, you know, insert a way that you are unique, different in, in, a, in, in, in an intense uh, way from other people. And, and we're all different in an intense way from other people in some area, which is probably a way God has created, crafted, designed, orchestrated for you to be here right now for, as the book of Esther says, such a time as this. Now, in the previous talk, we finished up uh, part number one of the framework. There are four parts to this framework. Let me tell you what they are. Identity, knowing who you are. Uh, number two is presence. Uh, number three and number four we'll get to later on. That's really when you start expressing, number three, your gifts and your calling, your purpose, your passion. And four is just keeping a healthy perspective on all of this. Here we are in part two about presence. Now, in part one, I said, hey, your, your identity is based on who Christ says you are. And now you live as presence on this world. And if that's true, as we ended up in the previous episode, 
the best habit you can develop is living in this constant awareness, practicing the presence of the Creator, walking in alignment, in relationship with the Holy Spirit, who, who never leaves you, by the way, ever leaves you, yet we can still become more aware of his nearness. A lot, a lot of times I even just say it like this, you know, there are radio waves bouncing all through right now in this room where I am at the hilltop, in my office, you know, looking out over the woods right here. It, if I turned on a radio, all of a sudden music or talk or sports or something would begin playing. Yet the reality is it wouldn't begin. Those radio waves have been here all along. Kind of, kind of like the whole question, looking across all these trees. Uh, across my yard, then the neighbor's yard, and all the land in between us, if one of those trees falls in our micro miniature forest, uh, if nobody's there to hear it, does it make a sound? Well, the waves are there, um, but if no one's there with an awareness of the waves, does it matter? Does it make an impact? Big, big question. Here's maybe the analogy, and I know no analogy is perfect, The presence of God is always near you, just like those radio waves that are around you right now. But it helps if we're aware, if we tune in to the reality that is ongoing. Now, one of the first issues that we've got to tackle in order to do that is this topic of sin. And I'm going to present it right out with me in a little bit different way than you've ever heard it before because I I hate to give it away before I even start, but I really believe that sin isn't just a moral issue. It's not just a right or wrong. It's not just the judgment of this or that. It's actually, it's far greater than that. Sin is a distortion of our form. It's a distortion of the design which we were given for which we were created. Here it is. This is lesson number six from Life Lift. Listen in. If you would like the book, get it in the show notes below. Hope you enjoy. Let's move in to lesson number six here, chapter number six. And we've got to talk about the issue that so often uh, people want to dodge or they overemphasize one of those two extremes. Let's just try to tackle it in a healthy way and acknowledge it. I think it's going to be really freeing and empowering for you once we talk about sin in the way that we'll do it today. We're going to talk about keeping your form. Lesson number six is keep your form. And the main idea is this. One of the biggest issues with sin is that it distorts the image of glory. It distorts the form that you and I were designed to carry. So let's review it all. Part number one, again, Lesson one, chapter one, was that Jesus shows us what the Father is really like. He takes all of the things that have been distorted and we boil it down. We even said it like this, Jesus is perfect theology. Lesson number two, he reveals who we're designed to be. He doesn't just show us what the Father's like. He shows you who you're like. He shows me who I'm like. Lesson number three, we've been included in Christ such that everything that happened to him happened to us. We died buried, we arose, we've ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father with him. Now we are, as we talked about in lesson number four, empowered to live that resurrection life in the present, which looks radically different than a pre-resurrection life, is radically different as Jesus looked pre-cross and post-cross. 
as radically different as Peter looked like when he was Simon, as he did when he started walking out the identity of Peter throughout the book of Acts. That means lesson number five, we live the presence of Christ right now. For you to live is actually for Christ to live in the world. That leads us all here to part number two. Here's the first main idea of, of several that we'll tackle. Four main ideas in this lesson. A, B, C, D. A, you were designed for glory. That's God's original intent for each of us. God's original design for each of us is glory. Now, we usually focus on the first part of Romans 3, 23. If I ask you what that verse is, if you grew up in the church, you would probably know what I'm saying here is we don't need to focus only on the first verse or first part of the verse. We need to remember the entire verse. Here, here it is. You, some of you were already thinking of it. And, and remember, it's a one long run-on sentence that Paul's doing there in Romans 3. And this 3.23 is just that middle part of a long run-on sentence. For all have sinned. Okay, there's, there's one of the words we want to hit in this lesson. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, we, again, generally focus on the first part of the verse right here. All have sinned. But what I want you to do is I want you to notice this part right here. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Glory is the original intent that God has for you. Okay. Again, focus on the entire verse. Don't look at just part of it in exclusion to the rest. Point number two is this. We weren't created just to reflect the glory of God. We were designed to actually possess the glory of God. Let me show you some verses that say exactly this. Moses, when he came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. What was going on in Exodus 3:24 or 34:29 is Moses was reflecting the glory of God. It had landed on him and he was reflecting it and it was beaming. It was being shared off of him. Now notice what happens when we get to the New Testament here. Uh, it, by the way, in the Old Testament, they, they asked Moses to wear a veil over his face there just because it was so bright. It was, I guess, intimidating. Uh, we all, now all, all, so you, me, all, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? We talked about this in lesson number two. You see yourself. But Paul was reminding us, hey, when okay, something different, something bigger here. We, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. What are you being transformed into? You're being transformed into the image of glory that you see. What is the image of glory? It is the image of Christ that's in the mirror. What are you being transformed into? You're being transformed into who you are created to be. And who you are created to be is not just to reflect the glory that will pass, not just to cover it, but to actively shine that glory. Two different words right here that we emphasize in the workbook, reflecting the glory versus shining the glory. And I think that you are designed to shine the glory of God. Isaiah 61, arise and shine for your light has come. Arise and shine. He doesn't say arise and reflect. 
he says to arise and shine. What's the difference between shining and reflecting? Well, you can, th you can think of it like this. The moon doesn't shine. The moon is a big rock. The moon doesn't have any light source in and of itself. The moon reflects what comes from the sun and hits the moon. And that's why you can always see parts of the moon at certain times based on what it's able to see of the sun and then reflect. And I really believe there are a lot of Christians right now that are living kind of this uh, theology that would be more of a reflecting uh, the sun type of theology. That if I'm in proximity, if I can see him, I can see, and then I can reflect it off to you. And really what the scripture is saying hey, is, hey, hey, wait, hold on. You shine the glory. That means it is inherent to who you are. It is part of your identity. Stars are very different. The sun is a star. It just naturally, because of what it is, gives off light. Why? Because it's a star, and that's what stars do. Okay? Moons reflect. Stars shine. Why? Because it is part of what they are. And I think your identity is to shine, not reflect. Paul said it like this. You shine. There's the word again. You shine like stars in the universe. I believe you were created to shine the glory of God, to not reflect it, but, but for it to be something that is just a natural overflow of the reality of Christ and the fullness of God, as we've discussed, that fullness inside of you. And that leads us to point B here. The next main point of this lesson is sin isn't just a wrong thing that we do. Or it could be a right thing that we omit doing. Remember in the book of James, he says, to so the one who knows to do a good and doesn't do it, that's also sin. I really think that sin, it's, it's bigger than that. It's not just a moral issue. It's a distortion of our true form. It's a distortion of our true design. Our true design to shine, not reflect, but to shine the glory that God has put inside of us. Let me maybe build that up. Let's define, let's start off by defining what sin means. Here's, here's where we're going to head with it. It means without form. Okay, sin means without form. It's not just, oh, bad strike, oh, that's it, without form. So here's the English language, uh, sin right there. Uh, the Greek word is hamartia. You break that down. Ha means without. Martia uh, is uh, really a word that, is very similar, uh, same family of word as Maros. Maros is a form. Maros is an architectural blueprint design that, that people would use. Um, ha martia without form. Sin ha martia without form. It is a distortion of our design. At some point, you might have even said this or thought this. You know, I, I, I just feel like when I do that thing, that I'm not doing what I'm called and purposed to do. When I, when I step off and say that, when I step off and think that, when I act this way, when I do that thing, when I, when I go to that place, I'm not doing what I was called designed to do. And that's where kind of the angst internally comes from. It's not just moral. It's not just guilt. It's not just shame. It's, it's, it's bigger than all those things. And that you, like, you really feel like you're not in that moment shining the glory for which you were designed. And, and that works the same way when you don't do something that you really feel like you were called and purpose to do, you feel like there's this distortion without form. You're not walking in the design that you were created to walk in. 
Here's another way to say Romans 3.23. Okay, and, and this is just my transliteration here, just kind of putting those ideas together so we could see it. Again, the original one said, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Here, here we go. All of us are lacking our form. We're lacking our design. We're without who we were created to be. Like, like somehow we've missed the mark of our identity. Uh, again, here's maybe phrases that you've heard people say before. I, I just don't feel like I'm doing what I was created to do. Or I want to find what I'm really great at, and then I want to pour myself into that. Or, or you've heard other people say, I want my life to matter, I want to be doing something that makes a difference. Well, if you've heard or thought or said any of those things, the good news is you were actually created for more. You are God's workmanship, created specifically for great works, which grace, okay, that's the emphasis right there, that grace empowers you to do. Remember, grace was that root of Karin instead of Karatos, that Karatos, you had favor with God, but now you have Karin. You have that divine, animating, life-giving presence inside of you, ready to shine forth your God's workmanship created specifically for great works, which God planned beforehand that you would do. Notice, here's the passage in scripture that says that, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Salvation is the gift of God. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't achieve it. Not of work, so nobody can boast. Notice Paul continues, though. And, and in the Greek language, this is all just kind of one long run-on idea. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Now, I want to major on that idea right there, workmanship, for just a moment, Workmanship in the Greek language is this word poema. You probably recognize just the first part of that word right there, poem. Uh, a poem is a different literary form than information. It's different than a phone book. If, if you <laughs> remember what a phone book was or, or is, I'm sure they still have them in some places. It, it's, it's different than just newspaper, data, stock reports. But a poem is really this artistic flair, design, craftsmanship. Here, Paul is saying you are his workmanship. That's where we get the word poem from. There is poema. You are God's art. You are his unique design. You have an intentional form. And Paul has said the same grace that saves you it's the very grace that empowers you to live the purpose for which you are designed, your destiny, your call. It's all, all of it is empowered by grace. Grace, grace, grace. All of it is grace. Again, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. Now, this is the same passage. We're just looking at it and highlighting different words here. And the previous time we highlighted workmanship right there, but this is the same passage. Notice, by grace, you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest no one should boast. Whereas workmanship, but notice right here, created in Christ Jesus for good works, created for an intentional purpose, created with some design to shine. That means grace is bigger. Grace is bigger and existed before any of your sin. Where do we get that? God prepared right here beforehand. God prepared beforehand, before you ever showed up on the scene, that you would walk in those great works. Grace is bigger and existed before any of your sin. 
Now, notice a couple of passages right here. First one, we just read Ephesians 2.10. God prepared beforehand that you would walk in these good works. It was all grace that did it. Psalm 139.13, David says that when he was in the womb, God formed his inward parts. He knitted him together, intentionally created with some design, with some unique form, in his mother's womb while she was pregnant with him. Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, says this, before I formed you in the womb, which David says God stitched him together intentionally in the womb, before I formed you intentionally, before you were born, I set you apart. Here we're seeing that even before you showed up on the scene, God had some plan, some good works, as Ephesians 2.10 said, that grace foreordained that you were and now are going to show up for. Isaiah 44, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. The idea we keep seeing here. I'm the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. So the same designer who architected everything we see in the cosmos, trees and deer and rhinoceroses and fish, or is it rhinoceri, right? And fishes and, or fish. Uh, the same God who crafted the Grand Canyon and sunsets and beaches and oceans and sands, all these things that we see and people actually designed the purpose, the great works for you to walk in. And that leads me to this idea. There's no sin in your past because he did all this beforehand. There's no sin in your past. God exists outside of the timeline. He exists in eternity to where literally every moment and all eternity is present at any given time to God. No sin in your past then is great enough to erase God's purposes. Paul says in Galatians 1.15 that he who set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace... This is an incredible idea because Paul, who was persecuting Christians, Paul, who was the one that the book of Acts chapter seven says was standing there consenting and holding the coats while others stoned Stephen, the first post-resurrection Christian martyr. Saul, that Saul, who became Paul later on and planted churches and empowered leaders and wrote uh, more books in the New Testament than anyone else, more, more words in the New Testament than anyone except for Luke, who traveled with Paul and probably got a lot of his information from Paul. That Paul says that before he was murdering and persecuting Christians, God had set him apart to lead Christians to write the radical grace that 2,000 years after he died, Christians like you and me would read and therefore find our form, our purpose, and walk in it. No sin in your past is big enough, is bad enough, is horrific enough to erase what God has planned for you. Now, people may say it has, and people might say you're disqualified, but God says no and don't let a human disqualify something that God has intentionally qualified. And the scripture says he takes the things that are foolish to shame the wise. Like that is the way that he seems to operate. So next idea here is that you and I need to embrace our unique form. 
We need to embrace our unique design and leave behind all these lesser things. It doesn't mean we embrace the lesser things and go, oh, nothing's going to thwart God's purposes. It means, no, 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 what? nothing can ditch it, nothing can restrain it, but let's leave it and let's press on to the bigger thing. And that leads me to this. If you and I have a unique design, if we have a unique form, and if sin is a word that really means without form or walking away from that design or shunning that form. It means that sin distorts that image. Now, earlier we said that you were here and Jesus here and Jesus reveals to you what you're like, who you really are. He reveals to me who I am. Uh, he then sends us into the world and empowers us to live Christ. Okay. When we, when we look at Jesus, we don't just see what the father's like. Remember that we also see who we're like, and this is the basis for us revealing him to others. Jesus doesn't love us less when we sin, but sin keeps us from seeing who we really are. It hinders us from walking out the incredible design that we have, that you have, that I have to shine. So sin, it's then more than just a right versus wrong. It's more than just a do versus don't issue. It is a choice to walk away from that form, from the one-of-a-kind design that grace empowers us to experience and then shine and share with other people. So it's not only about morality. It's also about meaning. Which meaning? The meaning of your life, the meaning of my life. And that's really what we want to walk in. How do you do that? Well, you prioritize the presence over the supernatural power. You prioritize the presence over the supernatural power. You lean into the giver, not into the gifts. You practice the presence of the one who made that form, the one who wants to live through you, the one who empowers you to shine. And Paul says to be careful. He says, hey, don't fall off in sin, but don't fall off in self-righteousness either. Look at this. He says, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, so don't, don't put confidence in the flesh. You put confidence in the giver. You put confidence in the presence. If anyone has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church as for righteousness based on the law. I was flawless. I kept all the rules is what he says. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss. He's not saying everything else is bad. He's saying everything is not worth it. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, hey, I'll let go of all of that. Let's just lose it, and let's just focus on the things that matter the most, the worth of right here, because we're going to talk all about the presence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. You could even say right there, for whose sake I have intentionally lost all things. For whose sake I have let go of all lesser things, knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He goes on, he says, I consider them garbage. I consider them, the word in the Greek language right here is actually scubalong. I consider them, we'll talk about that in a second. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. In other words, he's saying, hey, dodge sin 
That'll hijack your form, but also dodge self-righteousness also because that will keep you from the form that you have to shine also. That word right there, I consider them garbage, is the word dung. What do you do with dung? You you just you toss it out. And you, you see people at the park all the time walking their dogs. They have these little uh, poop bags behind them. The dog does its business on the side of the trail, and the person gets the dung. They don't they don't keep it. They don't say, "Hey, at some point in the future, this might be worth something." They don't hold it up and look at everybody else at the park. And go, "Hey, look what I've got." They just throw it away. Why? Because it's just not worth anything compared to what else they have going on in front of them. Now, Paul for sure doesn't say the religious deeds that he had are done. He doesn't say that my former life was done. He doesn't say that the righteousness of, of good deeds is done. He doesn't say that living a flawless, blameless life is done. He says, compared to the greatness of Christ, that's the relative value. That's the relative comparison. Why? Because he says this, I want to know him and I want to walk in I want to walk in the experience of the power of his resurrection. And that right there is going to be the emphasis of part number two of the Lifeway framework of all about living the presence. We'll talk more about what that looks like in the next lesson.